And good morning. That was enjoyable this morning, wasn't it? Ruth, you're especially welcome here this morning. It's lovely to have you. So we have been looking at Seamless Link. Seamless Link. Seamless Link. Not Seamless Link. That's all right. Um, we've been looking at Kingdom Worldview. Um, and this morning we're going to be looking at poverty or plenty. Now, when I started to dig into this topic, there is so much to say. There's so much to talk about it. So um, if you feel that we've kind of skipped just the surface of this, it's because we have, all right? So um, it may throw up questions for you. It may irritate you. Um, what I would say to you is just let it. And just let it. Claire always says when I'm making a point that I think is valid, I go, Chris. And now I'm aware of every time that I do it. So let me try that again. <clears throat> so if it irritates you or causes you any hassle, just let it. That was better, wasn't it? No facial expression whatsoever. So um, we've been looking at worldview, and worldview is the glasses. It's how we perceive things. It edits things out. It puts things in. Uh, whenever we have them on, we are seeing things with a particular distortion on them. And this whole process is about us, about us um, learning to see from a kingdom worldview perspective, taking the glasses off and seeing things as they actually are in reality. So, little story to start with. So, Claire and I, uh, I first met Claire when she was 23 and I was 19. Yes, um, that man. Um, Claire was leading the group that I was a part of, and I thought, hmm. Uh, I asked Claire out after uh, the group, and she, her response to me was, apologies to anyone who's heard this before, you're not ready yet. To which I went, what? So uh, we weren't together for years and years and years, and then it was seven years later, uh, I asked Claire out, and it all happened very quickly. Got together in the June, got engaged in the November, and then got married by the following August. So the context is there because I'm going to tell you a story just before we got married. So were we maybe just dating? Anyway, it was one night, uh, Claire, we were at Claire's house, and we thought, what are we going to eat? Um, and I had been given a couple of chicken breasts. I know, strange. I don't know why I was, but I was just given a couple of chicken breasts wrapped in bacon. They were stuffed. They were absolutely delicious. Russell, can you recreate a quality chicken breast stuffed with bacon right around? Okay. Anybody who wants a quality chicken breast with some bacon and some stuff, and go and see Russell. He's on the Lisburn Road from a Monday through to Saturday. Um, so, and we'd also been given a bottle of uh, Cava sparkly wine, and we had some super noodles in the cupboard. Uh, so... That night, we had gloriously perfect chicken breasts that were stuffed, wrapped in the most glorious bacon with a little glass of cava and super noodles. It was one of the best, most memorable, happiest meals I think that we have ever had. Am I not right? It was just, it was just wonderful. We, it was like we were eating as kings and queens. It was super noodles. It was a couple of stuffed chicken breasts, and it was just some sparkly wine. That's all it was. Now... If we were moving from a place of a poverty worldview and mindset, we would be going, oh, it's just always lack. It's just super noodles, and it was just, someone had to give us those chicken breasts. Couldn't even afford them. Someone had to give us the chicken breasts, and someone gave us something else to drink as well. And we wouldn't be able to see it for what it was. And even though it looked little, it really was a lot. Because we knew that the people who had given it to, to us really, really loved us. And behind them, the one who gave it to us was God. So whenever there's a little and you're having what looks like a little, often it's a lot. You just have to look below the surface. What we have, we've been given. 
Let me uh, go to 1 Kings 17, verse 6. This is where, I don't know whether you're all familiar with the story about Elisha or Elijah. Let me get it right. Um, and Elijah uh, was really in the wilderness beside the brook, and he was fed by the ravens. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Does that sound like something you would like to do? Sign me up for that one. I'll just wait for the birds to regurgitate their meal onto uh, my hand or the dusty floor. Let me go over to the brook and uh, drink from it. Does that sound like something that's really quite attractive to anybody here? No? No? Well, that was God's provision. It was his appointed provision. Now, super noodles, uh, gloriously stuffed chicken breasts wrapped in the most wonderful tender bacon and a little glass of fizzy wine is much, much better than being uh, fed by ravens and drinking from a brook. But we're talking about God's provision. And often I think that what I do or what we do is God provides something. We go, I'm not eating that. I want to be eating whatever he's serving. So we want to have the glasses on, the glasses off, so that we can see God's provision for God's provision and not turn our noses up sometimes at the things he's feeding us with. Because actually, Elijah was better off eating the, the meat from, that the ravens were bringing and the water from the brook than feasting in Ahab's palace. So we want to be able to enjoy whatever he's given to us. God's ways are not our ways. Check out Isaiah 55 verse 8. He does things differently from us. Psalm 37, 17 to 18, better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The little is more than a lot because of the heart behind the hand that gives it. So you want to have the little that God is giving to you rather than the abundance that you think that everybody has because it's him that's given it. He has abundance. He is incredibly wealthy. Hell is the only place that's on a budget. Heaven has abundance. So if God is just giving you a little, there's a reason for that. We were never poor. I was never poor. I never have been poor. I did have a poverty worldview. I did have a spirit of poverty. And even this morning in worship, uh, I was thinking about, I'm going to uh, give you really uh, quite a succinct phrase to define a poverty worldview. But as I, as I was standing in worship, my brother always, whenever we were kids, uh, mom and dad would have bought us a chocolate bar each. Simon hoofed it into him at a rate of knots and went, that was amazing. I would just nibbled at it, just, just nibbled it little bit by little bit by little bit. Part of that is about the fact that, well, I've got it now. I'm going to have to enjoy it because who knows if it's going to come around again. So to define poverty, and our very own Dr. Dennis Burns uh, coined it as this, poverty is not the state of not having, but the fear of not getting, which causes you to hold on tightly to what you have. Poverty is not the state of not having, but the fear of not getting, which causes you to hold on tightly to what you have. Now, in the earth, obviously, there is abject poverty, but most of the testimonies from people who go to those nations in the world that we call third world uh, will come back and say they were so generous with what they had. They're so happy in what they have. And here's all of us. Really, we're all quite comfortably well off. Thank you very much. Granted, not everybody, and I appreciate that. But most of us are. And we're going, oh, I don't know. Is it going to be all right? Is everything okay? What about the economy? Where's it all going? Is there going to be employment? Oh, what's going on? 
Poverty is not the state of not having, but the fear of not getting, which causes us to hold on tightly to what we have. And it's not all about money. It can be about food, can be about friendships, can be about love, affection, health, family, money, economy, safety, opportunities. Oh, well, I don't know if there's going to be another job. Better stick with the job that I've got. Even though you feel utterly compelled and convicted that it's time to move on, well, better the devil you know and everybody around you is saying, better the devil you know. Have you ever thought about that phrase? I don't particularly want to know any devil. Just me. Well, I've got to stay in this job because I know this and this is what I know. Even though inside I have a burning passion and desire to do this, and I know that that's God, well, I'm just going to stay here because <sighs> there's no jobs out there. I, I was unemployed for two months and went into the local um, job center. And the girl who was at least 15 years younger than me went, well, love, there's just no jobs out there. And I thought, this is like walking into EastEnders. You know, it was just depressing from the get-go. And I thought, it's not true that there's no jobs out there. I'm holding out for the right one. I could have got a job being a delivery driver for a local Chinese. Could have been delivering newspapers. Could have wrapped on doors. Could have started my own business. Could have done whatever. It's not true that there's not jobs out there. It's just I didn't like the ones that I'd seen and also didn't believe that they were the ones for me. Poverty, having a poverty worldview is the expectation of lack. Now, Andrew had cited uh, Bill Johnson last week. He's the, the senior, senior pastor in Bethel. And he said that fear is faith in the devil. So basically how it works is you've got a lie which in and of itself is powerless. Okay? And then you've got us. When we engage our faith, we complete the circuit. And when we complete the circuit, we then get the power that we have to the lie, and the lie then creates itself. All fear, when it's not all fear in and of itself, uh, is self fulfilling. That is not true at all. All fear, whenever it is added to by us, an agreement of, yes, I believe that to be true, and I have lived this. I really have lived this. When I connect, think, then I give that thing hideous strength, and that hideous strength, which is unbelief, then causes it to have its way and its effect and its influence and all that in my life. Equally so on the other side, whenever God says, this is what I want for you to do, this is the truth, and I bring my faith and make a connection with that, I complete the circuit, and I will know the truth, and the truth will set me free. You can take that to the bank. It's a bit like, do you remember when uh, the old antennas, and I remember when we were younger, we had a uh, black and white TV and Simon and I would share it. I'm Simon old. And uh, it had gone a bit dodgy, but I found that when I held it and put my finger to the, to the antenna socket that actually the picture was quite clear. It's exactly what happens. It's an invitation to us, and we've got to complete the circuit. What? There's no charge in it. It's not as if it was going on. Simon, let's get some power. Screw the plug, son. Just go like this. No. It was about getting the, the, the holding on to the antenna and completing it because really you then become the antenna. So if we've got that. So basically it's your choice. It's what you choose to do. You're the one with the faith. Do you remember um, Jesus was walking along and uh, he said, who touched me? And the woman with the issue of blood. And he said, your faith has healed you. Your faith. So you have faith. So Connect it, not over here, but connect it over here to the truth. And if in this message you're going, cheapers, I'm connecting this to the wrong thing, join the club. We've all done it. No biggie. Make your apologies. In Jesus' name, I break that lie, break the circuit, and connect to the right circuit and start to live your life out of that place. 
And if you need help with that, we're here to help you. Okay, we also have the uh, Freedom Plan, which is a simple, uh, just a simple sheet at the back, which honestly, that will change your life. It really, really will. You just have to, not that side, you just have to connect. Okay, so the lie is empowered by our faith. The lie is unto bondage. The truth is activated by our faith. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free, Johnny at 32. The truth is unto freedom. The lie is unto bondage. The truth is unto freedom. The lie will often look like it's unto freedom. Oh, if you do that, you'll be so free. Oh, it'll be the best thing in the world. No, he's lying to you. Whereas when God asks you to do something, the enemies buy now, pay later. Buy now, pay later. Buy, you can have it all. You can, oh, you can have everything. I will give you the nations of the world to you. No, he really won't. Um, and God will say, okay, let's start to uh, discipline that soul of yours. Let's get some c- control on yourself. Let's start to hold every thought captive. Let's make agreement with the truth. Because freedom is not the choices that we make, but the consequences of those choices. And over here is life, and over there is death. Poverty is not the state of not having, but the fear of not getting, which causes you to hold on tightly to what you have. A poverty worldview sees lack when plenty is present. So you've got, I've used the example before, you've got two people. Uh, one person walks into a room of new individuals, comes out and goes, they're just lovely, they're so incredibly welcoming. The same, or not, this, the, a different person walks into the same place and has the same experiences, but through their filter comes back and says, those people aren't nice, and I just felt like they didn't even notice me, and basically I felt completely and utterly rejected because the rejection glasses were on. So poverty uh, will see Uh, lack when plenty is present. A poverty worldview is completely subjective. See if you can connect with any of these examples. And I want to confess that at different points, I've been uh, the person that said these things, not these amounts. So we've no money. Many of you have said that. We've no money. Now, it could have been that you actually haven't. I don't don't know whether that was really, really true. But maybe, maybe you didn't. We've no money. I only have £500 spending money this month. Now, most of you might go, whoa, you're doing all right. For the person who's saying that, they're going, well, it's not really enough. I normally have a 1000 It's totally subjective. Well, we only had one holiday this year. I'm poor. We only had one holiday away this year. Or we only have 50 grand of savings. I, I was always told you had to have 100. I'm using ridiculous examples so that you can see some sort of a distance between it. But it's totally subjective. I don't know whether that's your experience. It's totally subjective. I'm not successful. I would have said that. The business that uh, we had for five years financially really wasn't the most successful thing in the world. But if I measured by what God was up to, it was a raven success. So who's to say whether you weren't successful or not? Who are you going to to get analysis of the situation? And this is not about them and what they have. This is about us and what we are believing. A poverty worldview is not about the lack that we have. It's really about the lie about what we believe about God and his heart towards us. When we strip it all back, that's what we're really struggling with. Hebrews 13.5 Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, when I first read this, I thought, why would God say this? 
And then it totally makes sense because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Everything that we have, we have been given. Everything that we have, we've been given. We are merely stewards of what we've got. We can lie to ourselves and go, I am a self-made man. No, you're not. You maybe made actions that you were with other people and they didn't, but you decided to go, I'm going to do this and I'm going to walk out and I'm going to take this risk and I'm going to do that and put myself at risk here and do that. You're not a self-made man or a self-made woman. We only have what we've been given. It's a victim mentality. So a number of years ago, um, our family had suggested, not a biggie, had suggested going out for a meal. And I said to Claire, we got off the phone and I said to Claire, we couldn't afford to do that. And Claire said, it's not that we can't afford to do that. When she looks at me like that, I know I'm about to lose an arm. She said, it's not that we can't afford to do that, Colin, it's that we choose not to. How many of us say, well, we could never afford to do that? No, it's just you choose to put your finances somewhere else and that's all right. But let's not be going into the victim mentality of, well, we don't have enough for that. I wanted to get a, a little cassette wood burner. I'm a bit of a paramaniac at heart. And I really, really wanted to get the wee, just a wee wood burner in the house. I went into the attic and rummaged through, found old cameras, sold them on eBay. I was looking everywhere for ways and means to get that done. There was, I think, five days between me getting that cassette stove to me getting it fitted and working. Now, you may go, well, that's not very long. That could have taken weeks or months or whatever. I made that happen. Why? Because I had a value for it. Well, I couldn't afford to do that. I made it happen because I wanted to get it done. And to be honest, that little parable that was in my life, it's a bit, you know, whenever I'm going, I couldn't do that, I couldn't possibly do that. Really what I'm saying is I don't want to pay the price to make that happen. So let's be careful about our language and what we're saying. So, how do we get to deal with this? How do we deal with a poverty worldview? Well, we get to know God. We need to believe and experience his love for us and know that God's not poor. poor. Um, 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. So if you're fearful about your finances, if you're fearful about the provisions, if you're experiencing lack or afraid of not getting, go to God and let him love you. It's a bit of a strange solution. Whenever uh, I used to do our finances and when Claire gave me our receipts and was punching them in, I always felt this like, is it going to be enough? Is it going to be okay? Is this going to work out? And you know, it always did. I remember one month we had a deficit of a certain amount and randomly... Uh, it was a tax rebate or something nearly to the exact penny that amount came into the account and I thought I have a choice here I either believe that God loves me and is going to provide for me and I'm being responsible with my finances or I get really frustrated at the fact that I had a bunch of money that just got frittered away so I decided to start to make agreement with God loves me and he's going to provide for me not even sometimes about are you managing your finances enough more of no I believe that was right and, and it just works out and it's okay God's not poor, and he deeply and dearly loves us. Psalm 27, 13 and 14, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. John 10, 10, I have come to give you life, and life in all its fullness. 
A poverty worldview does not see abundance and life. And the solution is we've got to give it away. Ironically, we've got to be able to receive his love first if we haven't got the fact that he deeply and dearly loves us, that he's not going to leave us, that we're always going to have enough and what we need. Once we've got that settled, then let's start giving it away. You go to God and say, God, I need this. Likely you'll feel challenged and you'll go, well, just give a tenner there. Give 100 quid here. Give 50 quid there. Why don't you give your time there? Why don't you give your affection there? Why don't you give that thing away? You know that thing you love? Give it away. Mm. He's not answering my prayer. I told him that I needed something. He is answering your prayer because he is about getting you free to be able to realize that it's not all about you. You have a father who loves you. Do you not think there's times that Anna and Isaac wants things and they don't have enough money and I'm going to bridge the gap for them? God's really, and I'm just a human dad. God's really, really, really good. He's very, very, very wealthy. And he deeply and he dearly loves you. So we need to be able to receive. Pride resists what it needs. Humility embraces what's being given but it, because it believes that another knows better than itself. James 4, 6, God resists the pride but gives grace to the humble. So whatever God's given you, whether it's from ravens or whether it's a banquet or a feast, and he's the one giving it, eat it and enjoy it. Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. And 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 11, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Do you want me to smack you over the head again with that one? And God is able to bless you abundantly. He is able, full stop, gets it done. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you need, subjective, you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, there's been a lot of damage done in terms of, okay, sow this seed today. You know, you give me your five dollars. Today, if you give me your $5, I guarantee that within three days, you're going to have 5,000 pounds. We're not guaranteeing anything like that. What we're guaranteeing is God says, there's no way you're going to outgive him. And I'm a gardener. If I want lettuce, I sow lettuce seed. If I want strawberries, I find strawberry plants or next somebody else's runners or sow the seed. If I want chilies, I sow the seeds. If I want potatoes, I sow potatoes. If I want blueberries, I get a blueberry shrub or take a cutting off it. Do we get the picture? If I want broccoli, I sow broccoli. If I want raspberries, I get a raspberry plant. So sow. Sow it out there. Be generous. God's saying, basically, you give it away, I'm going to give it back to you. I confess, sometimes I have done that. Let's just give that away. And watch it come back. There was, uh, we were having a meal one time. I was with a friend. And it was, you know, I, folks, I really struggle with all this stuff. 
I really do. It's not the easiest thing in the world, but there is life in it, and I've struggled and got to the other side. So this story is in McDonald's, field challenge, just with a friend, pay for their meal. Meal comes to about 12 quid, and it hurts, I confess. You call me a t- cheapskate. I was going to say something else. You call me a cheapskate. Uh, that's maybe a fair assumption. So I pay it. Uh, then we get a credit card bill, and I'd put something on the credit card and I had forgot to clear off 40 quid or whatever. There was a 12 pounds uh, minimum charge. And I thought, why don't I just ring them up and ask? And I said, any chance you'd waive it? I went, on this occasion, sir, no problem. Now you could go, what's this coincidence? I sued 12 pounds, and mysteriously, that little fee that actually I should have paid was waived. Now you can go, well, what are you trying to do here? You're trying to manipulate us? You're trying to say that this is all about reap what you sow and all this? Absolutely. You try and outgive God. Well, I don't know if my heart's right in that. <laughs> really? Do you know the times that I hear God the most clearly? I was saying this in small group. The times that God says, you need to give 100 pounds to that person. That's, that's the moment I go, was that really him? Anybody else with me? And Claire, who's much more whole in this area, will go, don't be ridiculous. You just need to give it. Or actually, sometimes she just gives me the grace to figure out and go, I just need to do this. So if you're anything like me, just give it away. He deals with a poverty worldview by saying, give it away, because it's not about what you have. It's about who loves you. He loves you deeply and dearly. Tithing. I had written down in this, oh, there it is, I knew it, he just wants my money. I don't want your money. He does. Now, I'm going to read these verses out. The whole thing about tithing is a lot of people go, well, that's something from the Old Testament. We're not under the law anymore. Well, actually, funny you should mention that. As he finds his notes. Tithing didn't come from Moses the lawgiver, but from Abraham, the faith giver. Let me read from Hebrews 7, 1 to 4. Or uh, Hebrews 7, I think it's 7 to 9. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem, which means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just, how th- just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they are also descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. Melchizedek is a type of Christ. Abraham gave a tenth of all of his plunder to the Lord. And tithing is two things. One, it's a test of our faith. Two, it's a test of our faithfulness. And actually, let me add a third. I heard um, a preacher say, which I thought was brilliant, it sticks a knife in our selfishness. I remember when uh, we do tithe, it is the best thing that we have ever done. I don't know how it works sometimes, but I want it out of my account. I don't want it. It's not mine. So I get shot of it. 
Now you can say, uh, I'm not, don't agree with it, don't like it, don't want to do it. What I would say is, just do it and see what happens. Come back to me in six months and tell me what your testimony is. Okay? Are you up for that? The other thing, Chris Vallotton, who's another leader in Bethel, said that most times people will uh, come with questions about tithes or ask the question, does it have to be before tax or after tax? And his brilliant wisdom-filled answer is, can I just ask, are you trying to give more or less? What's the heart behind it? What's the heart? It's about your heart. It's all about your heart. So um, a while ago, I'm aware that I tell stories about Isaac all the time, but it's just because the stories with Isaac are fresh at the minute. Um, I'd bought Isaac a packet of sweets. Um, and to be honest, I really was just testing his heart. And I said, son, would you, would you share one with me? And uh, he, he handed it out, no problem whatsoever. And then came to the last one. And what did he do? Do you love anyone enough? I was busted. Absolutely busted. I didn't even ask for it. For me, he'd really passed the test about where his heart was whenever I'd said, would you give me one in the first place? See, when he got to the last one, and he said, Daddy, would you like that one? I'm done. I'm a total and utter mess. He did it wholeheartedly. He did it unbidden. I was, I was, ask, I was testing him but he passed it. And I know that I can bless him and the blessing will not destroy him and it will not destroy my relationship with him. You've got to get this. If he is asking you to give something, it's because he loves you. If he seems to be holding out on something or there's little, there's something to learn. I asked the dangerous question, why God have I never earned what everybody else earns. And he said, because I want you dependent. Tell me, the blessing of your son, Joshua Nathan, has it brought some work with it? <laughs> Every blessing comes with work. You can look at the millionaire and go, oh, if I had everything, that would be wonderful. I don't know that I would want that. But God wants to test our hearts with a little to see are we willing to let go of what we've been given. You even hear rid- ridiculous that is. I bought the sweets for him. I gave the sweets to him. And then I said, would you give me one, son? He's like, oh, of course, daddy, you love me. Do you know that he loves you? Can we stand together? So as always, um, we've got some questions for your consideration to help you to respond. And I'm going to say it again, as I think I will for the rest of my life. You don't really need the questions. If the Holy Spirit is bringing meat by ravens, you want to be up here to eat the meat. Whatever it is that he's doing, get yourself up here and receive what the Holy Spirit's up to. So have you had a poverty worldview? As I've been talking, have you been aware going, I've been totally afraid of not getting? Or because of that, have you held on tightly to what you have? And would you like to begin the journey of starting to give that away? Or... Would you like to just know the goodness of God? If that's you, please come and join me now. We're going to worship for a time and then we're going to minister to you. So Holy Spirit, come. Thank you for your presence here this morning. We all... 
agree that you're here. And we ask that uh, you would peel back the layers on us and that you would have your way. So come, Holy Spirit.